You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from BleacherReport.com. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, by hook or by crook, the Co-Main Event Podcast President's Day episode is underway. It was looking like this one wasn't going to happen. It was touch and go there for a little while. I don't mind admitting it to you. Yeah, um, let's just say I've had plenty of opportunity to get comfortable here in this seat thinking about all the things I'm going to say because you've had me sitting here for like 20 minutes. That's right. The the uh, tables have turned this week. Have they ever? In terms of who was ready to go with the show on time. But fortunately, I was able to run across town, save the show once again. Pick up, from yourself. You're pick, saving the show from yourself. You lost your power cord. Pick up computer. a new power cord for the co-main event podcast computer. We are good to go. How did you lose it in your own house? You don't even take this well, computer anymore. First of all, this isn't my house, as I believe we've made clear in the past. This is uh, someone else's house, and uh, it's it's like a portal into the unknown. Okay, and so you put something down. You're it's gone. saying that what happened is the power cord to your computer disappeared into another dimension. That's. I mean, that's the the only answer we have. That's the best answer we have right now okay all right luckily i just wanted to get that on record luckily i was able to run across town drop 60 bones on a new power power cord real quick come back here the only thing you have to bring is your own shitty attitude you never forget that so we're ready to rock and roll (laughs) you really helped me a lot these days it's president's day Woo! ben i'm gonna be saying president's facts all through the show today oh is that right did you know ben that george washington's teeth actually weren't wooden I didn't know that. Contrary to popular belief, the country's first president's uh, president had dentures made of gold, ivory, lead, and get this, animal teeth. Okay. Are they all? Are they all going to be this good, or is this a special one? Well, that's just the first one I saw. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson founded the University of Virginia? I feel like I did know that. You're leading with all your good stuff, I think. I'm leading with. We're going to get into like minute fifty, and you're going to be pulling out some Taft crap, and nobody's going to want to hear it. Huffington Post's 44 Presidents, 44 Facts You Probably Didn't Know from February 17th, 2014. (laughs) Well, for all you know, those facts may have been revised since then. That's true. Maybe we found out something we didn't know before about George Washington's teeth. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. And round number one, do we really have to make a joke about Shamrock versus Gracie and Kimbo versus Dada 5000? Or can we just say Shamrock versus Grady, Gracie and Kimbo versus Dada 5000? And in round number two, Kevin Randleman passed away over the weekend, I believe at age 44. That's right. So we'll look back on the life and career of the monster. And in round number three, Cowboy versus Cowboy. Again, no no real joke required for that one. Can you just go like, yippee, aha, yahoo, pew, pew, pew. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Sean Snyder. He writes, so I was watching the Twitter feed recently and noticed that the quote-unquote can crusher Michael Page is out of his next Bellator fight. It occurred to me that Page is the sage of Bellator. Only for Page, he's several years into his career and still getting what parentheses, anyone with a pulse might be called favorable matchups. Super Sage, on the other hand, fought three times in four months against elevating levels of talent to the point he couldn't just roll in on antibiotics and coast to a win. I guess my question is, why the vitriol towards Sage and not Page? I imagine the obvious answer has to do with the Super's hair, personality, and push, but MVP is a complete tool. Discourse, por favor. Uh, so yeah, Michael the Venom, Michael Venom Page, right? He's That's over right. there in uh, Bellator, hence the initials MVP. Uh, I mean, it's this is true of of Michael Page. They seem to to serve Michael Page up with a with a string of uh, opponents that he can probably go out there and beat uh, in impressive fashion. And uh, I don't I don't know that that's anyone's favorite approach. It's certainly not my favorite approach. But you know, like we've said on the podcast before. 
Uh, the rules are sort of different, like it or not, for the UFC and Bellator. We expect a level of competition and maybe even a, a, a guideline for matchmaking conduct from the UFC that we don't really expect from any of the smaller, uh, up and coming or competing promotions. Uh, so it's not, I don't keep myself up nights, I guess you would say, worrying about who Bellator, if Bellator is going to find Michael Page a, a compelling matchup. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. And I also would like to see him fight somebody who would present a more compelling matchup for him. Uh, but I also think that one of the big differences, if we're making comparisons here between Sage and Page, which is, let's just fun. That's just fun thing to do, uh, is, it seems like Michael Page's push is in large part because he has a really fun fighting style to watch. And so Bellator wants to get him in these fights where he can go out there, do his crazy stuff, create crazy highlights, uh, and then they can hopefully get a little attention that way. It's So it's still more based on fighting style, fighting ability... Rather than more, you know, look, personality, that kind of stuff. Like, it's still, I'm not saying it's entirely more merit-based what they're doing, but it is a little bit more based in what he actually brings into the cage, uh, which I don't know if that's necessarily as true for Sage Northcutt. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, if you tell me you want to see Michael Page fight some, some tougher guys, I'm not going to argue with you over that. I'd absolutely want to see that. And I think that's the only way if you're, if you're, what, I mean, if you ask me one of the big differences between Michael Page and Sage Northcutt right now, it's that more people know and care about Sage Northcutt one way or another. If they hate him or not, uh, he, he gets more attention than Michael Page does. If Bellator really wants to change that, then you got to put the guy in some real fights. And he's over there fighting in the, uh, welterweight division, I believe, in Bellator. Uh, which again, I mean, I guess, maybe prior to the arrival of Benson Henderson, which just, just happened in Bellator, you would be hard pressed to tell me that there was any sort of like cohesive or linear storyline or contender, uh, process playing out in the Bellator welterweight division. So it's not as though we're hanging around over here feeling like Michael Page is getting a free ride. He's just, uh, you know, Bellator is trying to, to be as smart as it can. I think about promoting, the personalities that it feels like are promotable over there on that side of the aisle. And, and I mean, who, like if we were going to be like, Oh man, Bellator needs to get Michael page, uh, a good fight at welterweight. Like who, who would you match him up against? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've, I, I had never really checked this out before until we started having this discussion. I looked up Michael pages, Wikipedia page. I'm looking at it now. Scroll down. If you would to the personal life section, because it's it's unconventional to say the least for a Wikipedia page. It's basically just a list of like his favorite stuff. Um, I will read. Yeah, some... there's like there's as many Michael Page facts in here as there are president facts Pretty on much. the Huffington Post post uh, president's and page. No more interesting. Uh, for example, Page is an avid salsa and street dancer. He is editing this himself. Obviously. It's got to be something like his favorite actor is Will Smith. It's either Michael Page or Michael Page's mom is going on his Wikipedia page and and editing these personal life. He is a fan of the Miami Heat. There you go. He refrains from recreational drug use. Great. Thank you. <laughs> that is a that is a very fun Thank fact. Thank you, Wikipedia biographer. Next question this week comes to us from Manprint via Brampton, Ontario. He writes, 2015 was the year of Tony Ferguson, Max Holloway, and Neil Magny. Disregard him getting his soul eaten by Maya. That uh, was the year that they broke onto the scene in their respective divisions. All three picked up notable wins and really drew the attention of hardcore fans. Now, taking into consideration the recent blunders of the UFC uh, darlings Sage and Page. Now, we're talking about a different page. Yeah, page this, of the eye. In this question. Yeah. Uh, as they were essentially pegged to be the breakout stars of 2016. Who was your pick for 2016's breakout star to the hardcore fan? Oh, that's a tough question. That is a tough question. You know who I think uh, has a chance to be considered in there is your boy Aljamain Sterling, uh, who recently, we heard today, just re-signed with the UFC after uh, kind of making a, a big to-do about his free agency and fighting out his contract, got himself a lot more attention that way. Uh, and I think when people uh, 
actually do see him fight now that he's generated a little more attention they'll realize this guy's this guy can be pretty fun to watch um i could see him being a, a guy that the hardcores really rally around yeah i think that that's a pretty good choice i mean he's already number five in the ufc official bantamweight rankings uh so he doesn't have much further up to go you would think before he gets a title shot uh i'm gonna i'm gonna jump down two more spots in that same division though and say what about your boy thomas almeida okay because that is the uh like 24-year-old Brazilian kid who's just going out there and destroying everybody uh, when he when he gets in the cage. Um, I think he has a good chance of making some noise and at least arriving in his division the same way that these guys who have been uh, mentioned in this in this uh, question arrived. I mean, I would say, like, if you were going to say which fighters arrived during 2015, I could see saying Tony Ferguson there, but. I mean, I agree with the with the emailer that like Max Holloway and Neil Magny, those are kind of kind of hardcore choices. I mean, if somebody just asked you who quote unquote arrived in the UFC in 2015, I don't think you would say any of the three of those guys, right? I think yeah. it would be hard to think of anyone besides Conor McGregor and uh, Holly Holm, maybe. Right. And so, as I think about 2016, I have a hard time uh, thinking of anyone who will quote unquote arrive besides more Conor McGregor, because depending on how things go uh, in early March against Rafael Dos Anjos, I think we end up talking about Conor McGregor again for the rest of the year. Yeah, no, he has all the belts by the end of the year, pretty much. Uh, one last one I'd add to that list. We, You you know, you mentioned the b- recent blunders of UFC darlings, Sage and Paige. You can call Sage Northcutt's loss a blunder if you want. Uh, Paige Van Zantz was just getting straight beat up by Rose Namajunas, who I think definitely could become uh, a, a kind of a breakout star for the hardcore fan. Uh, she seemed maybe like she didn't have quite the seasoning and experience she needed coming out of the Ultimate Fighter, but even then, uh, caught a little bit of shine from that. I think uh, you saw her really put the hurting on Paige Van Zant, who, you know, again, I wouldn't call that a blunder because while she was outmatched and, and outfought in that one, uh, she never gave up. She she really hung as tough as she possibly could until Nama Yunus absolutely put her away. Um, but I think if people get a chance to see a little bit more of Rose Nama Yunus and she gets some of that same push, uh, she's somebody I think... Fight fans would really rally behind. We're wasting our breath over here not talking about Brian Ortega. Is that right? T-City? T-City, baby. Okay. Featherweight division. Coming for that strap 2016. I still just, I can't get behind T-City. I just can't do it. <laughs> Next question this week comes to us from Brian Top. He writes, is it just me or did everyone hate Benson Henderson for constantly winning fights he deserved to lose while everyone loves R- Robbie? He says he wrote Roby here, but I'm going to go ahead and say Robbie. Robbie Lawler. A dick now. Despite uh, the fact. Dick move. Hey, man, I didn't even say anything about the first email I read that some crazy stuff was happening in there. Uh, despite the fact that he appeared to lose both both fights against Johnny Hendricks. Now, see, we got the second end in Johnny here. All right. So we robbed Robbie Lawler of one of his letters. And gave Johnny Threw it Hendricks back in the alphabet, shuffled it up, one. pulled out an N. Extra N for Johnny Hendricks. Put it in Johnny's name. Uh, the fight against Carlos Condit and very nearly lost the second fight against Rory McDonald. And I think that's, I think Rory McDonald is missing an A in yeah, his name Yeah, so here. it's a game, a game of boggle. Jesus case, Brian Top, I tried to stand up for you. I tried to, to stand up for you against the tyranny of Chad Dundas, and you made me look like an asshole. Uh, well, I mean... I think we're, there's some there's some fighting style implications going on here, right? Oh, yeah. People didn't like Benson Henderson because he kept winning fights in close decisions. And I thought, in fairness, he did, in fact, lose a lot of those lightweight title fights that he ended up getting the nod from the judges. But, like, some of the, of the public uh, outcry against Benson Henderson clearly had to do with his style of fighting and that it seemed like he was going out there trying to salt away rounds uh, rather than let it all hang out in a in a fan's dream of fighting style that that you might, if you were going to think of someone who typifies that style, it would probably be Robbie Lawler. Robbie right. Lawler's going out there swinging for the fences, letting it all hang out, uh, and getting himself in the fight of the year just about every damn time he goes out there. So you can see how uh, MMA fans might have a soft spot in their heart for a guy who uh, fights that way rather than a Benson Henderson figure who also took the title off. Uh, a quasi beloved dude in Frankie Edgar. Uh, you could see how uh, you know people would like the way Robbie Lawler goes about it, and not necessarily like the way Benson Henderson went about. Yeah, that's, it. I mean, even if you don't think Robbie Lawler deserved to win some of these title fights, and even if you come away going, "Oh, I gave the decision to the other guy," you can't really be mad at 
what you just sat through because it's such an awesome experience. The only way you can be really, really genuinely mad about it is if you're a huge fan of one of the other guys, like Carlos Condit or Johnny Hendricks. Uh, and also, don't even throw in this shit about very nearly lost the second fight against Rory McDonald. He broke his whole shit, Chad. He did, in fact, break his whole shit. I mean, I don't care about nearly lost. That's what made it so awesome when he came back and broke his whole shit. There was no doubt about who won that fight between Robbie Lawler and Roy McDonald the second time. Uh, I also think, though, like, and uh, again, the, the fighting style thing is a big part of it because even when people were saying about uh, Benson Henderson, like, oh, Gilbert Melendez deserved to, to win that decision, you didn't hear a whole lot of people saying, and therefore we should run it right back and do an immediate rematch because they didn't necessarily super enjoy the fight the first time they saw it, so they don't really want to see it again. I also think some of it has to do with Lawler's long history in the sport, that for so long he was one of those just hard-nosed dudes who came to slug, didn't really seem to give too much thought to uh, crafting a career, really, um, and then really got his act together, and now he's champion. And it's kind of a feel-good story that I think we don't see that often in MMA where one of these guys who had almost been written off comes back, becomes a UFC champion, uh, and realizes all his dreams. And I think it's a lot easier for people to get behind that. Saying that Robbie Lawler almost lost that second fight to Rory McDonald is that now you're getting on some Vitor Belfort shit. Remember when he said that he would totally would have beat Anderson Silva had he not <laughs> gotten kicked in the face and knocked out like almost immediately. Yeah. yeah. So, I think, didn't Jose Aldo, I think he's pulling that as we speak, saying that he totally would have beat Conor McGregor had he not been knocked totally stiff unconscious in the first 13 seconds. <laughs> yeah, so. I, mean, yeah sure. I guess you got to tell yourself something. I guess you, you're not going to tell yourself that had I not been knocked out in the first 13 seconds, I would have lost via fourth round TKO. You know, I would probably be president of the United States right now had I signed up for Model United Nations when I was a freshman in high school. Maybe gone to an elite finishing school and then become the, I don't know, the, the aide to some congressman when I was 21 years old. Who knows what, what might have happened? I can tell you what happened. Sex scandal. That's what would have happened. A, a young, supple Chad Dundas in some congressman's office. No way he could resist. Ben, did you know that President Andrew Jackson oh, taught Jesus his parrot Christ. to curse? The parrot had to be removed from President Jackson's funeral because it wouldn't stop swearing. <laughs> Now tell me that's not a dope president fact. You should have led with that one. I didn't want to get all my good stuff out there right away. Last question this week comes to us from John F. He writes, hey guys, can we talk about Misha Sirkunov? You bet we can. First, I hope his tailor leaves enough room for those traps. Hi-oh. Second, he won me over in his fight against Alex Nicholson. He's big, aggressive. Seems like he can give the top fi top tier fighters in his division a run for their money. Do you see a title run in his future? Let's discourse this when you have a chance. Thanks. Uh, nothing to dislike so far, I don't think, about uh, Misha Sirkunov, except perhaps a little bit too Americanized for my tastes. <laughs> yeah. You know, he gets on the mic speaking that perfect English and whatnot. It's hard for me to not pine for a Fedor Emelianenko slash Ivan Drago type. You want some I must break you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, let's let's be real here. If we're going to say, do you see a title run in his future, he fights in the division with the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world, arguably the greatest mixed martial artist of all time, in John Jones as the champion. So I guess if we're going to plot out a Misha Sirkunov title run, it would have to be potentially after Jones vacates and goes to heavyweight, or we think that he has the stuff to maybe beat JBJ. Does it count as a title run if you get all the way to the title fight and then get smashed in the title fight? I mean, it, it counts as a run to a title fight. I don't think it counts as a title run. Okay. Because then you would have to win the title in order to have a and title run. run away with it? Yeah. As far from John Jones That's as you right. possibly get? <laughs> a yeah, literal I mean, title run. You're right, because even in, in you're in that division where... Even if you get lucky and John Jones goes like deadlifts his way to heavyweight, and you don't have to worry about him anymore, oh, who's he leave behind? Just guys like Daniel Cormier and Anthony Johnson. Uh, no big deal. Maybe Alex Alexander Gustafson still hanging around. No, no problem. A uh, lot of awesome dudes in that division, and right now we haven't seen Misha Serkinov against anybody like that. I feel like I have to kind of actively remind myself though not to hold it against him. Uh, what he did to, to homeboy's jaw. I can't, it's, it's not his fault. It's nothing that I should, I should feel bad about, 
that because of him, uh, I had to listen on TV to a man's jaw snapping. That's Brian Stan called all our attention to on the the audio uh, when they did the replay. He's nothing he did wrong. That was that was him trying to win a fight, and yet now I can't help but associate him with like this kind of gruesome tremor that goes through my body when I think about that moment. That was awful. Yeah, that that was terrible. Uh, you know, Misha Sirkunov is actually not a bad answer for the previous question that we had about who's going to arrive in their respective divisions during 2016, especially since he fights in that light heavyweight division where, man, you only got to win a couple of fights and, and you're right in the mix there. I just noticed, though, he is not even in the top 15 of the official UFC light heavyweight rankings. I guess he's only won two fights in the UFC, um, although he is 11-2 and two now. But uh, I don't know, man. You got dudes like Jean Vellante and Jan Blakowicz, uh rounding out the top 15 of the of the light heavyweight division. I feel like we could find, a, find some room for Misha Sirkunov somewhere you'd, in you'd there. You'd think so, wouldn't you? Ben, did you know that President Martin Van Buren popularized the phrase, okay? What? What? Supposedly, President Van Buren pop popularized one of the most commonly used phrases to date, okay or okay. That's O-K-A-Y and okay. Van Buren was from uh, Kinderhook, New York, which was also called Old Kinderhook. His support groups came to be known as okay clubs, and the term okay came to mean all right. This That one is on par with some Michael Page facts. <laughs> That's what that one is. Uh, um, I had a Jason Mayhem Miller question picked out for us to answer during the listener mail section of the show, uh, but now I've misplaced it. It's probably somewhere with your charger for your computer. Portal to the unknown. Yeah. We need to, I want, need some music for that on the podcast. Some kind of spooky sound effect. Yeah, I can't a wait for A door creaking open. <laughs> And a cat. Portal to the unknown. There you go. Got it right there. Don't have to make a single change. It's perfect. Let's talk about Jason Mayhem Miller, who is going to uh, show up in a promotion called Venator. That's what they say. And fight Luke Barnett. Although, I don't know if we should call Mayhem Miller and tell him that, since he appeared uh, on a promotional video and either through his genius of how to promote this event or simply from being confused, uh, more than once referred to the fact that he was going to fight Josh Barnett yeah. at this event. I watched that video, or at least watched enough of it to know I didn't want to watch anymore. And it was impossible for me to tell if he was trolling us or if Mayhem Miller was actually confused about uh, who he was fighting. I would love to believe it was the former. Uh, did you see the press release put out by the the Venator president, Frank Marinda? Uh, I saw the highlights of the press release. Yeah, it's, as press releases go, not, not exactly the most professional one that, I've ever that's seen. That's weird coming from the... Uh, the, the gray lady of mixed martial arts, Venator FC. Uh, it is a memorable press release. And basically the part of the contention in this press release is that Mayhem is not necessarily trolling us, but using his brilliant uh, PR skills to create some buzz around the, the fight and doing it without speaking negatively of anybody. Um, well, he spoke negatively of Josh Barnett in that video. <laughs> well... It's it's a bizarre take because, you know, if you want to take the uh, approach that what Mayhem has been doing is basically crafting a character for the purpose of promoting and, and selling future fights, then man, he is really committed to that character. Because it's been like the last three years now have been some really bizarre goings on in the life of Mayhem, uh, filled with a lot of arrests and strange behavior and... If that's all an extended ploy to to get attention for the purpose of, of building up this Venator fight, then that's amazing. Um, and I would frankly rather believe that that is the case, but it's hard to believe that that's what's going on. And I don't think, you know, the 
the approach that this guy tried to take in the press release was basically like, oh, everybody wants to see Mayhem like tossed out in the cold and not given an opportunity to, to make a living and you know blackball the guy from the sport, which I don't think is what anybody wants. But I do think that people are looking at what seems to be going on and has been going on in, in Mayhem's life for the last couple of years and thinking maybe this is not a great time for this dude to be getting in a damn cage fight. Maybe that's not what he, his his life needs right now. Um, and I, I mean, I, I, I know mayhem fairly well, spent some time around him. Uh, and he always seemed like a really smart dude for me. That's why one of the, it's very vexing what's happening to him now. It seems like he, he needs, um, some kind of help that he's not getting in some way. Uh, and I hope he gets it because he's always seemed like a, uh, a good dude. And that's why you kind of hate to see any, like even the suggestion that he might be, somehow being pushed into a situation at a vulnerable time because he needs the money or because it's the only fight he can get or, or whatever, um, that's just going to lead to more trouble for him down the road. It's yeah, sad. It is sad. I think it was MMA Journalist of the Year 2015, Suzanne Davis, that first brought to light that either Mayhem had been arrested or he had at least been cited by the police within the last couple of weeks. So has had some recent trouble with the law leading up to this Venator fight. Our, the question was from Devin Scott, so that we don't totally screw him over. Does he know where your computer charger is? And I'm going to email him back to ask him. The gist of the question is, if we are going to entertain all of this Bellator stuff, where you know we watch Shamrock versus Gracie and Kimbo versus Dada 5000, where do we draw the line and or are we interested in watching Mayhem Miller fight Luke Barnett in uh, Venator for, let me say, the Venator middleweight championship? Oh. We don't want to undercut this. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it's different to, because my objections to seeing Mayhem fight wouldn't be because I think he's too old or too broke down or whatever. Um, just because it, like my objections would be more like, Clearly, there's some stuff going on with him right now. Uh, and I don't know if he thinks that he's in a, a situation mentally and physically, psychologically, all that stuff to go in there and get in a cage fight. Okay, I guess we'll find out. Um, but it it's worrisome uh, to think about it just because of the certain kind of picture that's been painted by the multiple arrests and even like very recent arrests uh, leading up to this. Uh, with like the Ken Shamrock, Hoist Gracie, Kimbo, Dada Five Thousand stuff, I like that's that's weird in a different way. Yeah, that's weird. Where I at least feel like those guys are a little more in on the joke of whatever's happening, uh, and are trading it in for some money and know exactly what the circumstances are and, and what's going on. And with Mayhem right now, you just you wonder if he does have that same awareness of the circumstances. Yeah, I'm not particularly interested in in seeing how this fight goes down unless I found out find out afterwards that it's like the fight of the year or something like that and and I got to track down some video and try to watch it but <clears throat> I mean I see it as frankly just another like independent MMA main event somewhere that could be happening in almost any promotion in any town in America on any weekend and I don't chase down a lot of those main events to watch those uh Mayhem Miller certainly didn't look that great in his last two fights against Michael Bisping and CB Dalloway, although that was all the way back in 2011, 2012. The stuff that we have seen from him uh, in semi-retirement has not made it appear that he is making a, a like a, I don't want to say sober effort because that seems like a loaded word, but doesn't seem like he's making a, a realistic effort to like be a, a top fighter. And Luke Barnett is a guy who basically washed out of the UFC after uh, three straight losses and and didn't necessarily look like the kind of guy who, who you should consider a top fighter. Uh, so I'm not terribly interested in this fight right now. We'll have to see, I guess, how the reviews are afterwards. I see Luke Barnett has uh, two fights coming up. He's going to fight Rafael Silva at British Challenge MMA 14 on uh, February 20th and then fight uh, Mayhem Miller at Venator. This fight is not till May 21st, 2016. Ooh. Luck could happen. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a we will cross that bridge when we come to it <laughs> okay. approach to Mayhem Miller versus Luke Barnett. 
And that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, or a concern to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You can go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link at the top of the page that says uh, email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Uh, while you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. Uh, that'll get you up on uh, get you up to date on the news and notes that we miss from Tuesday through Friday when we're not recording the podcast. It's short. It's humorous. We think you'll like it. If you don't, it's really easy to unsubscribe. We feel pretty confident that you will like it. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, this Friday night, February 19th, from Houston, Texas, it'll be Bellator 149, an event that doesn't even appear to have a Wikipedia page at this stage in the game, so I'm looking at the uh, SureDog fight card page. You know how they do with Bellator on Wikipedia, they yeah. just stack them all up. Just in one long Bellator, yeah. Bellator in 2016 article. But you can see the Bellator 149 section, the bummer is that it doesn't have the fight poster wherein Dada 5000 is holding a damn sledgehammer. Yeah, I just noticed that earlier today and had to say that that's one of my favorite things about about this upcoming fight card. I have to say though... Looking at the actual fight card, like, there's some stuff going on here you might want to watch. Melvin Gillard is on this. Justin Wren is going to make an appearance. The big homie, Emmanuel Newton, is going to rematch with Linton Vassell. And then, of course, you got the top two, the the co-mains, which uh, Sherdog's page very soberly points out is Kevin Ferguson versus Dafir Harris. Okay. So, no monkey business, no playing around <laughs> no. over on the... Uh, the dog on, is playing on, it straight on I the Sure Dog Bellator 149 I page. Appreciate that. And then, of course, the big daddy, the granddaddy of them all, Ken Shamrock against Hoist Gracie. Ben, which one of these fights are you most excited for out of the main and co-main? I assume you're not going to say Emmanuel Sanchez versus Daniel Pineda is the one you got your eye on. Oh, I, I, are you asking me which one of these fights am I most excited for? No, just out of the card? main and co-main. Well. Because I know you'd say the big homie if I gave you half a chance. Yeah, I would say that. Especially now that I know he has learned his lesson about having sex three to four hours before the fight. Stupid sex, as he called it. <laughs> lesson learned. Uh, excited is a strange word to use here. Like, curious? Which curious. one are you the most curious about? I guess I'm the most curious about Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie. Just because there's a lot of... There's a lot more weird stuff i feel like going on in that fight for one thing just the size difference between them i think will be interesting to see how it plays out it also will be interesting to see all right here we have two dudes who last fought when they were kind of in their physical primes and when the sport was completely different now they're old guys gonna fight in a new age in a new era in a new promotion and will what if anything will be different because like, if you you go out there and they have, like, basically the same kind of fight that they had, the, you know, especially the second time where Ken Jamrock lands one good punch and then kind of hangs out and hoist Gracie's guard until it's over, I can't say I'd be surprised at that. Uh, hoist Gracie pulls off a submission. I can't say I'd be terribly surprised at that. Ken Jamrock punches him in the face and Hoist Gracie falls down and, and looks frail and it's all over in, in a couple seconds. I wouldn't be surprised at that either. I think there's a lot... A lot more to be curious about in that fight. See, I was all set to say I was more curious about Kimbo Slice against Dada 5000. Not only because Bellator is like halfway billing this as some kind of like informal King of the Streets type championship. World Street Championship. That's and what the poster says. Also because Dafir Harris is holding a sledgehammer on the poster. Hold oh, the damn sledgehammer, Chad. What's oh, he going to do with the hammer? You know what? You can say what you want about Dada 5000, but have you watched any of the uh, pre-fight like video hype vignettes for this fight? I have. Because that man brings it to the table. Well, he better. In, prior to the bell. Yeah. He brings a lot of excitement prior to the bell, as Jim Ross once said about the Ultimate Warrior. Uh Surprisingly, surprisingly well, I would think. Like he, you know, you can tell that that he's 
he's got some chops in the promotion game. Like he's, you can tell he's a guy who's been walking around Miami for years trying to get people to come to fights. Yeah. Did you see uh, Dogfight, that documentary? The Billy I watched Corbin documentary? enough of it to know I didn't want to watch the rest. Okay. Well, he, that is one of the things that comes through very clearly in that documentary is he has a lot of natural charisma uh, and is just serving as kind of a carnival marker hype man for these backyard fights he's putting on. So, yeah, that... It's not surprising to me that he can he can bring it prior to the bell. However, also seeing that one of the clips of one of his fights where, A, he gets tired really quickly, he gets taken down on the ground, has absolutely no idea what to do, is basically saved from by the ref when I believe he gets stood up when he is on bottom in full mount with no clue how to get out. Then he is able to knock out the dude when they're both totally exhausted. Uh, it's like, you know, you found somebody with kind of the same... Uh, background and, and street fighting pedigree that Kimbo Slice has, who seems to have learned even less about the other aspects of MMA. Although, who knows? I mean, that was some time ago. Maybe, maybe he's been in there with the Gracies drilling hard, uh, really working on rounding out his game. However, I think this is going to be one of two guys planting their feet and throwing until somebody falls down, probably pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, I watched enough of Dogfight to hear Dada 5000's explanation about how Kimbo Slice's, uh, crew kept him down, like yeah. held him down. Pushed him out. During Pushed him out the, the spotlight. Uh, during the Kimbo Slice heyday, like to hear Dada 5000 tell it, he was kind of a member of Kimbo's entourage back in those days. And I think maybe like, all members of all entourages everywhere, maybe like secretly considered himself to be the star of the show, like, like better than, than the guy who's in charge of the entourage, which I bet is not that uncommon. Uh, he basically thought he was the, the, the Tupac to Kimbo Slice's digital underground. Yes. Like there it was you just going to be a matter of time. Perfect. Perfect example. You know, there's a dude rolling in like Leonardo DiCaprio's entourage who's like, man, if I had just gotten the same breaks, you know, <laughs> I went to Juilliard. Can you do acting there? Is that just music? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they do acting Juilliard. Uh, so I was all set, right, to say I'm more curious about Kimbo Slice Dada 5000, grudge match. Well, a lot of, a lot of fireworks back and forth prior to the bell. And then I look at the Sure Dog page and I see Kimbo Slice listed at 5 and 2 in MMA. And I see Dada 5000 listed at 2 and 0 in MMA. And I hear your description of the Dada 5000 fight that you watched. And I start to get a picture in my mind of exactly how this is going to go. Long story short, maybe you changed my mind. Maybe I am now more curious for the geriatrics to go out there. Well, and it's not as if... I know we talk about Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie being a couple of geriatrics, which they are in MMA terms. Kimbo Slice is 42. Your man Dada 5000 is 38. Uh, as, as I put in a column earlier, if these two dudes got an actual street fight now, people would be looking at them going like, oh, come on, they, they should know better. They're old and they're too old for this. Yeah. They're too old to be out there fighting in the streets. Uh, so let's, it's not exactly like, you know, they're bringing the youth, the youth, the explosive youth on this card. Uh, it's also one where at least the, the Shamrock Gracie fight has some, some ties to the MMA's yesteryear. This, the thing that we have proven despite ourselves that apparently we will watch is just, Get people who used to be stars in MMA, regardless of what kind of shape they're in now. Um, the Kimbo Slice Dada 5000, just that one feels like there's absolutely nowhere to go from there after that fight happens. Then that's it's the, the rare thing of like, all right, instead of a street fighter dude against a more traditional MMA guy, let's just throw two street fighter dudes in there and then it'll like it, it'll be over. It'll just all, as soon as the, the street fighting thing here ends, maybe that will be the end of all the, the guys being YouTube sensations into the MMA cage. Do you think that Kimbo Slice Dada 5000 is more or less ridiculous than CM Punk against Mickey Gall? More or less ridiculous? Or I guess you could say push, same ridiculous. I, I would say basically same level of ridiculous, but different. And honestly, Kimbo Slice has more MMA experience. Than I think it's guys. less ridiculous because you got <laughs> at least these guys have fought before, right? You got uh, nine combined MMA fights here. Whereas, well, you got two combined MMA fights. All right. All, right. all you, of them coming from Mickey You sold Ball. me. You sold me. I must now admit Kimbo Slice versus 
Mr. 5000 is less ridiculous than CM Punk's supposed UFC debut against Mickey Gall will be. There you go. You happy? Yeah, pretty happy now. Do you have anything else you want to talk about this Bellator? Should we go straight to Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Did you want to talk about the big homie? Uh, anything? Let's let's talk briefly about the big homie yes. before we move on. Uh, we mentioned him. He 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 never has has had a loss that he couldn't explain away in bizarre fashion, which I really appreciate. Uh, it seems you know like- I would have liked to see Phil Davis's face when he heard <laughs> what Emmanuel New- why Emmanuel Newton said that he lost in this fight. Uh, it would seem that he's now you would hope has learned the lesson that the universe maybe does not have his back quite as as staunchly as he believed at one time quite as no conditions as he thought it was so maybe i guess this will be it that'll he'll just be undefeated from here on out um he's got those two losses to two good good fighters i feel like this could be a bad tipping point for him if he loses this one a third fight in a row maybe the crazy excuses for why you lost uh won't be quite so fun anymore and maybe that's kind of where you start on a downward trending line if you're the big homie Manny Newton. Yeah, well, I mean, we said that about the Phil Davis loss, right? Like, that seemed like a tough one to come back from. Not it's Phil Davis. I mean, he's a somebody. Right, but that that seemed like the one where we kind of separated uh, the men from the boys. In <laughs> fairness, we did not know that he had had sex. That's true. Stupid three, sex. Three to four hours before several, that fight. Several hours before the fight. Now, Linton Vassal, these guys fought at Bellator 130 back in 2014. Uh, I watched it at the time, but you might have to refresh my memory. Was Linton Vassal kind of winning this, and then uh, Emmanuel Newton choked him out in the fifth round, or was this more of a, a domination know. from a sexless big homie universe with his back? I don't know if it. I wouldn't call it a domination, and I don't remember it as being Linton Vassal was winning. But I do remember Linton Vassal was doing better than you expected him to do, which maybe that was. Why it seemed like he was winning. Because otherwise, this is a kind of an odd rematch to make, don't you think? Like, this is, this is like another one of those Bellator matches to make that, that, if nothing else, maybe underscores the lack of depth over there. Yeah, that's what, what else are you gonna do? And underscores the, maybe that their desire to get Manny Newton a win. Uh, but this is like definitely one of those Bellator style matchups where you, you see it and you're like, really? Huh. Oh, oh okay. I guess. Don't you, though, feel like, in a way, kind of a dream fight would be Manny Newton versus Tito Ortiz just because, just to hear what the loser would come up with. They wouldn't even have to have a fight. Like, just, (laughs) like, set up a couple podiums out there and let them them go, debate style. (laughs) Just see what happens. See who wins. I would watch. Hashtag would watch. Hashtag would watch. All right, Ben, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me and then uh, move on to round number two. Ben, I found out this week that Ronda Rousey had nabbed one of three covers for the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue uh, when I saw a tweet from the official UFC uh, Twitter account. And it dawned on me now that they say this about Ronda Rousey no matter what she does. And that is that the UFC will always note that Ronda Rousey is, quote unquote, making history. Huh. And so I guess I have to say, are you fucking kidding me to tell me that Ronda Rousey has in some way made history by scoring one of the three covers of this year's Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue? Because that kind of makes it seem like whatever she does is making history. Just sort of like Ronda Rousey ordered a watercress salad at lunch today. Made history. She'd never had one of those before. (laughs) So I don't know, man. Are you fucking kidding me? I feel like we need to maybe hit the brakes on the whole making history trope all the way around with Ronda Rousey. You know, I saw uh, a headline that talked about how one of the other uh, Sports Illustrated covers uh, featured a plus-size model and that that was making history. So it's historic all the way around. Yeah. At least two. We have now confirmed breaking news to the Co-Main Event podcast. At least two of three covers of Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue this year. History making. You know who I Historic. Bet feels like a piece of shit is whoever's on that third well one. let's not say that till we find out who it is <laughs> maybe yeah. it's historic it's in ruth some bader way. ginsburg so it is actually pretty historic uh chad we mentioned earlier the how the bellator fight between kimbo slice and dada 5000 was being pitched as a world street championship yes and that is according to a poster that bellator Apparently they ran this last week. I didn't notice it until uh, I saw it on, on Twitter today, and I, I 
uh, mentioned it in a column I had out today, uh, that Bellator had kind of a social media campaign slash giveaway um, called hashtag take your hood, which again, I don't, I'm not totally understood, sure, sure, I'm not totally sure I understand it because I'm not sure if I'm supposed to read it as take your hood back or take your hood to somewhere, like take them out to the circus. Right. Uh, I don't get that part, but what they want you to do is print out this poster for Dada 5000 versus Kimbo Slice for the World Street Championship, put it up somewhere in your hood, oh. take a picture of it, put it on Instagram or Twitter with the hashtag take your hood. Uh, and for this, one lucky winner will receive an autographed Bellator 149 glove prize pack. Wow. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you you don't think we saw me? what you did there? You're just trying to get people to go up around town putting up your promotional <laughs> materials. You won't even bother to print out the stuff for them. They have to print your promotional materials and then just go around plastering them on unauthorized spots all around town. Basically what you would pay like a marketing like street team people to do and... For this, one person will get some autographed gloves. I see what you're doing, Bellator. You're trying to make people work for you for free. Are you fucking kidding me? Ben, President Zachary Taylor was nicknamed Old Rough and Ready, a moniker he acquired from admiring soldiers while he was fighting in the Seminole War. That's going to do it for round two. We'll be right back with round number... What round are we doing? Two. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, February 11th, 2016, at the age of 44, Kevin Randleman, former UFC heavyweight champion, former two-time NCAA uh, national wrestling champion, uh, died of apparent heart failure uh, while in San Diego. Uh, and one of those fighters, I wonder if how many of the newer fans to MMA really know who he was or what he did. And I thought it was especially... Touching maybe to see the the stories people, other fighters, especially younger fighters, shared about Kevin Randleman. Yeah. If you saw them on social media, where a lot of those guys were saying, like, you know, Kevin Randleman was one of the guys who really helped me out and uh, was really nice to me when I was getting my career off the ground and first getting going. Uh, and it seems like, you know, that's the kind of stuff I think tells you a lot about what type of person uh, somebody was. Uh, as for what kind of a fighter, that's the part where it seems like a lot of the the – Newer fans might not have any idea really who Kevin Randleman was. What do you remember Kevin Randleman for as far as the the stuff in his career? Well, I mean, I feel like to talk about any of those really early UFC fighters, you kind of have to understand how different an experience even watching the sport was back in those days because it wasn't on television. Uh, You know, when Randleman came in, I don't even know – it may or may not have been on pay-per-view. I don't know if that was during the the reign of terror of John McCain trying to outlaw the sport and whatnot. But the way that we consumed the sport, or at least the way that I consumed the sport back in those days, was VHS cassette tape, right? You would like go to yeah. the video store, and you would look around for whatever was the newest UFC that you hadn't seen, and you would get it, and you would take it home, and you would watch it. So, you know, you were watching it after the fact. You weren't You weren't following it in anywhere near the real time that we follow the sport now. But like, so you were, you know, maybe if you came in a little bit late, you were able to chart through the very early evolution of the UFC kind of quickly because you were watching all of these uh, VHS cassette tapes. But if you were kind of scrounging around for them, as I was at the time, this wave of dudes came in that was like Mark Coleman, Kevin Randleman, Mark Kerr, all of these like, enormous American wrestlers, Don Fry, Don Fry. And, and it was this, like maybe the first real holy shit moment in like the evolution of mixed martial arts where you were like, these motherfuckers will never lose <laughs> because they just seemed like such monsters, especially where they could headbutt people. Yeah. <laughs> and if you hear Mark Coleman tell it, he never would have lost if they had not outlawed the, the headbutt. But so Randleman was one of those dudes. And obviously as, uh, 
as his career went on and we got more time with him in the cage and saw his strengths and weaknesses, uh, we came to regard him as, as very fallible as a fighter. Um, but early on when, when those guys showed up, I just can't overstate enough what a sea change it felt like going from the sort of like hoist Gracie slash a little bit Dan Severin, uh, years to all of a sudden these enormous, American wrestlers, really skilled, very like muscle bound guys showed up looking like action figures and just smoking everybody. Yeah, especially true for Randleman because he always just seemed like he was a, a physical specimen uh, and had been a really spectacular wrestler uh, in college and, and uh, kind of got roped into it through guys like Mark Coleman, who had been a, a coach of his, I think, at Ohio State and just told him like, hey, you know how you can make some money? All you have to do is go out there and uh, beat up three people in a single night uh, at some uh, Valley Tudo tournament, and boom, there you go. You got you got a few thousand dollars in your pocket, uh, and next thing you know, that becomes your whole career. Uh, and so I think one of the dangers maybe now is for newer fans who hear about, okay, Kevin Randleman uh, died, everybody has this kind of out, outpouring of emotion about it, and then they go back and they look at his record and think, okay, what was he, 17 and 16, you know, what's the big deal about it? Uh, and not necessarily understand the context, like you said, that of a lot of those guys who came up and that a lot of those losses were added kind of later in his career. Or, uh, you know, if you go out there and you dump Fedor Emelianenko on his head and then you, you get beat by a Kimura later in the fight, it's not necessarily proof that you suck. That kind of thing. Right, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of real highs and, and maybe a lot of real lows, too, in, in Randleman's career, but... You know, uh, him fighting Boss Rudin for the UFC heavyweight title, uh, which at the time, uh, when, when they staged that fight all the way back in 1999, like, Randleman ended up losing that by split decision, but that was, that was an awesome fight for the day and was like one of those, uh, was maybe one of those signpost fights where you were like, oh, like, people are starting to get somewhat skilled at, at competing in this sport. And then obviously, of course, the, the enormous knockout of Mirko Krokop, uh, in Pride in 2004. And then you mentioned the Fedor Emelianenko fight, which is like, uh, one of his career highlights that what they call the Randall Plex, I believe, where he just spiked Fedor on his head. Uh, and you know, unfortunately for Kevin Randleman, I think that, that highlight kind of went down in the history of the sport as an example of what a murderer Fedor was because he got suplexed right on his head and then came back to win the fight. Uh, but, you know, Randleman was a, was a, uh, obviously one of the more recognizable figures in the sport and was a guy who I, I think a lot of people like to watch fight from that generation. And yeah. as the, as we've found out from the, uh, you know, the outpouring of, of sympathy and, and support after his death, uh, was well liked inside the, the, uh, the sport. You know, one of my favorite stories that I, saw being passed around social media was from Uriah Faber, who talked about uh, being, you know, kind of a young up and coming fighter uh, at some event. And Kevin Randleman walked in the room and saying, you know, this, this sport is blowing up. You guys are all going to get rich uh, because this sport's going to be so huge, way bigger than it was when I started. And he started, you know, pointing at Uriah Faber and these other guys around the room saying, you're going to be rich. You're going to be rich. You're going to be rich. That being said, can I borrow $50? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the you know, you see those so many people talking about like, oh, you know, he he helped me out a lot uh, in a situation where he didn't really need to. Just kind of saw me at an event, uh, helped me, taught me some things, uh, helped kind of impart some of the wisdom that he had gained uh, from the fight game. Uh, and that's the kind of thing I, I think that uh, you I think maybe sometimes when people are in the middle of their careers, we get caught up thinking about their legacy in terms of just wins and losses and how many title belts and how many times you defended it and stuff. And then when something like this happens and you see what it is that people actually remember and they remember the the person that you were in private moments when nobody else was paying attention, uh, that kind of stuff puts it a little bit in perspective for you, I think. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately for Randleman, it seemed like he was a guy that, that caught a lot of bad health breaks, yeah, for lack of a better way to say it, because, you know, he had the terrible staph infection God, that for a while, which I'm sure you could still find unfortunate photos of it on the internet if you really want to take a look at it. That thing, uh, that was a, when I had my staph infection, I finally looked at the hole in my arm. The first thing that went in my mind was, well, at least that's not as bad as Kevin Randleman's. Right, yeah. And it seemed like he had several health issues that kind of 
piled up and then finally, unfortunately, uh, passed away after complications from pneumonia, checked into the uh, hospital and, and ultimately uh, died of heart failure. Uh, I mean, I guess if we are going to sum up the career of Kevin Randleman, he just seems to me like almost the archetypal fighter of that generation or wave of guys that all came in. Uh, it seemed like at the same time, although it, it definitely played out over the course of several years, just the sort of like uh, wave of American wrestlers that hit the sport. And um, even though none of them, I think, really went on to dominate the way we thought they would when we first saw them. And I think, you know, each of them ultimately maybe experienced some fairly dire personal problems like later in their career and after their career. Uh, I think that the influx of those guys really changed the sport. I think it, it was a real wake up call for a lot of people about, if nothing else, how hard you have to train in this sport. Because one of the things, you know, that those high level American wrestlers brought to the sport was just unbelievable conditioning in a lot of cases, uh, which was, you know, I think changed a lot of people's way of thinking if they came from a more traditional martial arts background. Uh, and so I think in multiple ways, you know, Mark Coleman obviously invented ground and pound, so that changed the sport. But I think all those guys came in at roughly the same time and ended up having uh, maybe a bigger impact on the sport historically than we sometimes give it, give them credit for. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. Uh, we'll be right back with round number three. Ben, it's never a good sign if you look at the Wikipedia entry for a given UFC event and the section that is labeled background has about six paragraphs in it. And that, unfortunately, is the case uh, for UFC Fight Night 83, also known as, at this point, Fight Night Cowboy versus Cowboy. Pew, pew, pew. Where uh, Donald Cerrone will fight, at this point, Alex Oliveira in the main event. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, more in the next few minutes, but this was obviously supposed to be the main event where Cerrone moved up to welterweight to fight Tim Means, the Dirty Bird, the Dirty Bird, and uh, unfortunately Tim Means uh, ran afoul of the USADA anti-doping policies now in the UFC, so had to be pulled from the event. And Alex Oliveira is in, uh, but that you know you just start looking at this stuff, and Sam Alvey was supposed to fight at this event. Uh, this was the event where uh, Vinny Barbarino was supposed to fight, but he ended up. Uh, subbing out of that to fight Sage Northcutt. Sarah Morris was supposed to fight. She just uh, pulled out uh, this past week. Uh, Brandon Thatch was supposed to be on this card. And then John Lineker, just today, a little bit of more breaking news for listeners to the Co-Main Event podcast. He was supposed to fight Cody Garbrandt, uh, but he had to pull out because he got some kind of terrible disease. Dang fever. Dang fever. That's right. This doesn't even sound good. No, you don't want that. So we've got kind of a makeshift fight card uh, once it's all said and done and uh, a main event that frankly kind of feels like matchmakers felt like they actually needed to make a television spinoff of Cowboy and the Dirty Bird. And so they went with Cowboy and the Cowboy. Yeah, uh, it is one of those where you wonder how much did the fact that these two dudes both had the same gimmick play into your matchmaking decision. But then you kind of look around and think... Maybe what really played on the decision was you started thinking about who can we get that was willing to say yes to Cowboy Cerrone on fairly short notice, uh, especially somebody who also kind of goes back and forth between welterweight and lightweight uh, and therefore, you know, doesn't necessarily have any reason not to take a fight with a guy like Cowboy Cerrone. I don't know. I mean, I guess if we got to do something, then I can't complain about it too much. They're they're both fun guys to watch uh, in their own ways. So, uh I'll watch some Cowboy versus Cowboy, but the card itself just seems like it is kind of limping along here. Yeah, what I mean, especially as we just detailed, like, all the changes that have been made to this card, sometimes it feels like Sean Shelby and Joe Silva's jobs must be so harried that if they did decide to go with this because it was a Cowboy versus Cowboy match, I understand. 
I understand how they might just see that and be like, yeah, let's do that. Uh, do you feel like this is a dangerous fight for Cowboy Cerrone, though? With, uh, you know, Alex Oliveira has won three fights in a row now. He lost his, uh, his debut against Gilbert Burns, uh, in March of last year, but has since beat KJ Noons, Joe Merritt, and Peter Hallman. So, uh, Alex Oliveira seems like the kind of guy who has put a surprising run together for himself. And now you got Donald Cerrone moving up to welterweight, uh, which, you know, was going to be kind of a roll of the dice to fight Tim Means anyway, just because you think Cerrone wants to get the uh, the monkey off his back of the feeling of having just lost a Rafael Dos Anjos. But uh, Alex Oliveira ain't no slouch either. So, like, I, this could shape up as a tough fight for both guys. Right. I mean, I still expect Cowboy Cerrone to win this fight. Uh, I think that... You know, just on paper, he looked like he should beat a guy like uh, Cowboy Oliveira. But I, I don't know if it, at this point, doesn't it seem like he has entered into the, the period of his career where he's just decided to say fuck it? Uh, or like has gone back to that period of his career where he's decided to say fuck it and he's just going to take whatever fight he can, get out there and make some money. Uh, don't, doesn't really worry too much about career arc or anything. It seemed like he did that kind of forced himself to go against his usual nature in order to get that lightweight title shot. It went disastrously for him, and he's kind of chucked that out the window and now is just going to try to stack up those paychecks. Which, honestly, that's a pretty fun Cerrone uh, watch, uh, a pretty fun version of Cerrone to watch, so I can't really complain about it too much. Uh, Seeing him try it at welterweight, I mean, sure, I'm all for that. Right, and it makes a certain amount of sense from the Donald Cerrone mindset, right, that you would have... Uh, tried to go against your nature, maybe in, in waiting longer than you probably wanted to to get this fight against Rafael Dos Anjos. Went terribly, you lost, and now, as I believe you said, he's back to, well, fuck it, right? Like, that's, well, you can imagine that exact thought process going right. through the mind of the Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, right. And meanwhile, even if he does lose, it's not like, what? Like, you're going to cut Cowboy Cerrone? No. Like, you're going you're gonna to put him on the, the fight pass prelims? No. You know, he's, he's still a really popular fighter. He can afford to lose a few of them if he really wants to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, he's probably got a job for life. I don't think the UFC is ever going to be in a situation where you want to cut Donald Cerrone loose and have him on the open market. Like, he seems like a guy who could fetch some ratings for Bellator on Spike TV. Uh, and who knows, maybe even fight Michael Page at welterweight. You never, there you go. You never know. Uh, and I know I've said this before, but it also strikes me every time I see him do it that I still feel like Conor McGregor is like, he's laying the groundwork. He's just kind of tending the patch of this fight that he could have at any point against Donald Cerrone. He always makes sure to throw a little shade Cerrone's way. He did it in the uh, the UFC 196 press conference with Rafael Dos Anjos where he's talking about his win over Cerrone and made a point to say Donald is a pussy and that he doesn't think much of Dos Anjos' win over Cerrone. So it just seems like... Even Conor McGregor is just kind of, he's got this this broth on the back burner. He's just going to leave it there for when he needs it. And th- and that fight is, or that, that broth is a fight against Cowboy Cerrone. You know, like some Sunday you just want to throw some stuff in the slow cooker, forget about it, go out, have yourself a nice day, nice day outside, then you come back, you've, you've kind of forgotten, and then you step inside, the house is filled with good smells of a big money fight. The analogy kind of fell apart there at the end, but you see what I'm saying. Yeah, and you could do a lot worse if you're Donald Cerrone. Yeah, than to absolutely. At some point, circle back around and fight Conor McGregor. But I think you could do a lot worse if you're the UFC than to have a just for the hell of it Donald Cerrone Conor McGregor fight. Is there anything else on the UFC Fight Night 83 card that is that is worth talking about? You got Chris Camozzi versus Joe Riggs, the Fight Master. Oh man, that's gonna that's going down in middleweight. Uh, Dennis Bermudez and Tatsuya Kawajiri are going to do the damn thing. And then uh, Derek Brunson and, uh, is that Hon, Hon Carnero? Sure. Nailed it. Why not? Just nailed it. Uh, so, yeah, this is one. This And this one is Sunday, right? Did we say that That's already? Right, February Sunday. 21st. So this is all the way around going to be. Uh, so you get a little breather. Kind after, of us. Kind of us. Yeah. Well, after you, the World Street Championship, you get you get Saturday to collect yourself. Uh, kind of wonder how your life has come to this. Then Sunday, gear back up for uh, what is likely to be just like five solid hours of uh, kind of B minus C plus level UFC action. 
All right, well, you want to put that one on the poster? Yes. Uh I really sold it there. They're going to put that on the poster, and then they're going to ask other people to go put it up around their their neighborhoods and take pictures of it, put those pictures on the internet. I'm saying, could at least one cowboy pick up a sledgehammer for the poster? Just, you know, is that too much to ask? Neither one of them even wearing a damn hat on the poster, Chad. Well, apparently Conor McGregor hasn't gone down to sort out the art department yet. They're still (laughs) sleeping on the job down there. All right, let's do Just Saying Stuff, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff for this week? Well, Chad, you mentioned John Lineker's withdrawal to Dang Fever. Yes. Um, Dang Fever, I don't know if you're familiar, is a a tropical disease. Uh, One of those spread by mosquitoes. Uh, You've probably heard about another tropical disease spread by mosquitoes in Brazil lately, the Zika virus, uh, which is kind of causing a panic there. Um, And this week, you know, I'm just saying that... I know that certain areas of the globe have other things to worry about that we don't have to worry about stuff like tropical disease spread by mosquitoes. But I feel like if there were any fairness in the universe, it would at least give a pass to professional mixed martial artists. Keep the disease spreading mosquitoes away from them because, damn it, don't we have enough to worry about in this sport? Guys are pulling out all kinds of injuries and stuff all the time, breaking their damn hands, wrenching their damn knees breaking jaws in sparring. Now we have to add to that a concern about tropical diseases and they're inventing new tropical diseases all the damn time. I'm just saying, give us a break. Just saying. Well, Ben, you mentioned earlier in the show, Aljamain Sterling, his decision to re-sign with the UFC. Um, So I guess this week I'm just saying, having this free agency is a great thing and a, and a, a wonderful thing for fighters to be able to test their 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 worth on the free agent market. And it seems like Aljamain Sterling got a decent deal from the UFC, but I don't think got the uh, the big money deal that he was hoping to get. And so, even though we have free agency now, I guess I'm just saying the market is still limited. Sometimes you go out there and test the free agent market, finds out you're worth what you're worth at this point, unfortunately, which is too bad. That's depressing. Did you know that President Ulysses S. Grant once got a speeding ticket on a horse, Ben? Get the fuck out of here. The 18th president of the United States was given a $20 speeding ticket for riding his horse too fast down a Washington street. Are you making this up? I mean, it's possible the Huffington Post is making this up. We've got to give props to them. Uh, This this article is not bylined, but uh, 44 presidents, 44 facts you probably didn't know. From the Huffington Post. I didn't know that one. I don't one. want it if, to seem like we're plagiarizing these facts. If it is indeed a fact. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week. Tell you all the stuff that happened. We'll tell you who the world street champion is. By then we'll know. Yeah, thank God. And uh, we'll also look back at uh, at Cowboy versus Cowboy. And we'll have all the answers. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Quick question before I get going. Can I use your printer? You could, yeah, but we will have to unhook this laptop. Okay. I just, I just need the pencil. Do you have any tape? Do you need, do you need to use a color printer? I'm going to need my Instagram password. <laughs> <laughs>